Hi, everybody. Welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. And my name is Todd Micah. I'm the author of Tales from Grimgard, an anthology of dark fantasy, as well as the Grimgard role-playing game. And I had never watched Avatar until now. If you've been following our podcast, you know we've been going through uh, episodes of the show, two episodes of Avatar, every episode of our podcast, and today we have reached season two, episode nine, Bitter Work. Uh, some stats on the episode, as we always do. This is written by Aaron Ehaj, and it is uh, directed by Ethan Spaulding. It's animated by DR Movie, and the episode aired on June 2nd, 2006. The IMDb rating of Bitter Work is 8.5 out of 10. <laughs> I love that we just blew past that. Well, by now we by now we know we're very familiar with all of the names and things. That you, and as, right. as I brought up before, you said, you know, by the time we've, we've gotten pretty deep, these will become common names to us. We'll keep seeing the same folks moving in and out. Right. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so um, for our fun facts today, our first fun fact is while talking about the airbenders, Iroh says also apparently they had pretty good senses of humor. This is exemplified by Gyatso, who is seen pulling pranks on others twice throughout the series. First in the Southern Air Temple, when Gyatso and Aang shot cakes at the meditating air nomads, and second in the storm, when Gyatso airbent uh, Aang's hood over his eyes and swapped the places of the pie show pieces during their game. So, yes, airbenders are very much tricksters <laughs> yeah so what he's trying to say when he says they have great senses of humor what he means is that iro really loves pulling pranks so. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, i feel like he if he wasn't a firebender he would absolutely be an airbender i was, you just like, took the words right out of my mouth it's just like <laughs> is he was he an airbender in a previous life hmm. right i could see it <laughs> Um, our second fun fact is that the term Sifu used by Aang to greet Toph and later Katara is a Cantonese word meaning teacher or master. And it's just like a sign of respect, I guess, in martial arts when you refer to a master or a teacher as Sifu, whatever their name is. So kind of like Sensei. Yes, exactly. That's very cool. Um, I actually did not know that. Yeah, and... Funnily enough, um, speaking of the word Sifu, you know, I've mentioned several times throughout the podcast, Sifu Kisu, who created the bending, like, so. I, I love Sifu. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I had fried shrimp just last week. Oh my God. <laughs> wrong Sifu, wrong Sifu. Oh, sorry. Um, I Sifu and I eat it. <laughs> okay, okay, calm down. <laughs> um, and then our third and final fun fact, this actually is not correct. Like, I was kind of mad at Avatar, like, fun fact, whatever, Wikipedia, because this is not correct. It said, this is the third episode in which Zuko cries. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> okay, I'm amused at two things about this. Number one, I'm amused, first of all, that you know better than them. You're like, no, my boy has cried exactly seven times by this point in the series. I have counted every tear that's fallen down his beautiful, beautiful face. <laughs> Um, and, but secondly of all, I love it. This is a fun fact. <laughs> fun fact, Zuko cries in this episode. Who wrote this? Did Toph write I, this? I don't know. I wrote it, apparently. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no. So the wording is all wrong for this because it says specifically, this is the third episode in which Zuko cries. But it's not. Up to this point in the series, this is only the second episode that he's cried, and this is only the second time he's cried. Um, he cries four times in total, I believe, the entire series. Like, it's it's always a monumental thing when that happens. So the first time is in, I believe it's the, yeah, it's the storm, when he's younger and he's begging for his life uh, mm -hmm. during the Agni Kai. You know, he's got the tears streaming down his face then. This time, he's, you know, screaming at the top of his lungs up on top of the mountain, being really angsty. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and then the others I won't tell you because they're spoilers, but right. um, there are two other times that he cries near the finale uh, of the series. So, you know, I don't know why this, <laughs> this just grabbed my attention because it's just wrong in every way. <laughs> so, so maybe I'm just going to 
throw one out here because now like, I'm thinking yes. back on like what could be the third time? Is there any third time where are you positive there's no other time? There's no flashback in the episode with like young Zuko and the whole thing with Katara and his mother and him thinking when like he didn't cry at all during the whole flashback. The only thing I could think is maybe he like teared up. Like, like I think that, that that's he what might I'm have that's what up. I'm thinking. Like maybe they're counting that. Yeah, because like just full on crying, no, but I think he might have teared up when um, you know, he went to Ozai in the garden and asked where his mom was and he didn't answer him. Yeah, yeah. Um but I don't think that he's actually like cry cried. <laughs> I love that we're like Well, so well we're going to settle this right now. <laughs> You're going to go look at the screenshot. Uh, we're going to get the official cry count from <laughs> Of season two, on take a theater. shot every time Zuko cries. <laughs> there, you know what? I was wondering. I was wondering if he teared up when he was like trying to perform in front of um, the Fire Lord, and he like trips and falls. Like I'm literally back here. Oh. I'm trying to see if there's any tears. <laughs> Let's see some tears, baby. He's crying. He's crying right there. Yes, he's crying. Okay. This is the part Actually, I suspected. We, uh, you want the screenshot? Yes. <laughs> okay, I, I'll, I will send you the screenshot. Oh my god, I'm so ashamed. <laughs> Years of academy training wasted. <laughs> and and you call yourself the mega fan? Has has the learner become the master? <laughs> Apparently. Here it is. Goodness. There it is. Oh my gosh. No, what? So you were actually right. I thought it was the other scene that I said, but you were right. Oh my god, I'm so proud of you, but so disappointed in myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That is okay. We, there is there is forgiveness, for we do not live in the Fire Nation. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dry those tears. Oh my god, that's so funny. Well, then I take it back. I I am big enough to admit that I was wrong. <laughs> So our fun, our, our our third fun fact was that Amanda couldn't remember the third time when Zuko cried, which officially makes me yeah. the Zuko fanboy in the group now. This, all right, well, after all that, now that there's <laughs> very real tears in the hosts too, um, yeah, this was a very emotional episode. Like I actually kind of wasn't expecting it going into the episode. Well, in a way, I was, but like not to this degree. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, after all, like the the entire exchange between Iroh and Zuko is emotional. And so immediately going in, I'm like, oh, we're gonna be getting some heart to heart between the nephew and the uncle here. You know, this is gonna be good. We're getting some deep soul searching stuff. There's gonna be lots of, of tea. The tea is being poured and not the kind of tea that you want either. <laughs> <laughs> I love when Iroh gets the bad tea and he just like, chucks it out the window real quick. Right, he literally spilling the tea, <laughs> which you know, like if you know anything about Iro, you know that like he would never do that to a cup of tea unless it was genuinely that awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, it's so funny. Yeah, that was he did hilarious. Poor baby. <laughs> it's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. Um, but to finish my thought about it, though, I didn't expect what I didn't expect was that all of the Toph and Aang training stuff was going to be so so angsty i promise that was not an mm. intentional pun i fell into that one the way Sokka <laughs> fell into the hole <laughs> that was me you caught me slipping <laughs> but yeah no it is it is uh um you know it's it's, an, it's it's a surprisingly emotional episode um to to step away since i transitioned away for the moment from iroh and zuko like the the whole thing with ang getting frustrated with it um is an interesting obstacle because for him it's a mental obstacle that he's facing mm-hmm. and i think uh you know a relatable one because the one he's suffering from in this case is is uh self-doubt he just mm-hmm. he's being forced as Katara put it really well he's being forced to train himself in something that he himself is the opposite of He's used to being flexible. He's used to escaping situations. He's used to being slippery and being able to get in and out of anything on a, like a gust of wind. But instead, he's forced to buckle down and face difficulties. The training itself is a difficulty, but the training itself also forces him to face literal, literal physical things head on 
that it's his instinct to jump out of the way. Right. Yeah, no, I, I really like the kind of conflicting teaching methods that we see between like Katara, who, like I said, she wants to coddle and protect Aang, you know, oh, we'll try again later. You just need to, you know, take your mind off of it. Let's go waterbend practice. And like that works for Aang because that's what he's used to. But then you have Toph who's just like, no, you need to man up. You know what it reminds <laughs> and... me of? It reminds me of the meme of Robert Downey Jr. with his kid and he's like nice and sweet. And he's like kissing their forehead and everything. And then there's like the meme of uh, Chris, Hem uh, Chris Hemsworth with his kid. He's just like, <laughs> got like by a leg just like swinging him behind his back at the beach like that's tough <laughs> that is 100 exactly the dynamic and i love it again it just shows like how different these characters are in their approach to things mm -hmm. um and i really like that and how it can be conflicting but you know it's never too conflicting to where they can't work it out um but uh yeah i really like seeing ang be kind of pushed to his limits both physically and mentally with earthbending um and once he's able to kind of, I don't want to say get over himself, but like, you know, once he's able to to overcome that hurdle, that mental block that he has, like he's able to unlock his ability to earthbend. And it's really cool and gratifying to see, like after so much struggling that he's able to get it down. And he's so excited when that happens. And like, he just wants to show everybody like, look what I can do. It's so cool. Get, him, get himself um, out just... of the way. Well said, Toph. <laughs> when he's able to get over himself um no but in but in a way you are right because you know facing those kinds of difficulties you know you are kind of stuck inside of yourself and it, it's a great testament to the fact that ang is so protective of the people that he cares about that when he stops focusing on his own fear of failure and starts focusing back on what's really important his mission and other people and things like that it brings him back into his own and Aang is always better when he's doing what the avatar does best which is look after other people and save them mm -hmm. and it would be something like you know Katara or Sokka or Toph getting in trouble and him needing to help them that would kind of unlock that sort of primal urge to help them um and that kind of protective nature is, you know, it kind of works for earthbending because it is such a solid grounding element, you know, that sort of protectiveness kind of comes through. And I really like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I love the whole training montage and like the different tricks and tips that she tries to give him. And she does start to work with him a little bit after Katara talks to her. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, you know, I've worked with Aang for a while. Like, this is kind of what he responds to. And she does her own version of that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. it's still Pops teaching, but, like, she does kind of take what she says to heart and, like, applies it, but in her own special way. Because, of course, she's not going to go all soft and, you know, mushy like Katara is for him. Um, but I think that that's what he needs. He needed someone to to really, like, you know, kind of not butt heads with, but just someone that would push back. Like, he wasn't going to, you know, coddle him or anything like that. Like just someone has such a strong will and the will to teach him, even though it's his opposite element, like, you know, I think that that's really important. It's so if like someone like Boomy taught him, I feel like it wouldn't have the same result no. because they're friends, you know, like Toph is like, no, we're not here to play. We're here to work. Like well, that's yeah. why it's called bitter work. I mean, even offering some insight on that, because I didn't think about drawing that, that contrast, that parallel between uh, Toph and Boomy, what would have happened if Boomy had, had taught him? I think because they're friends and knowing Boomy's demeanor, he probably would have made it more like a game, perhaps even a competition between the two of them as he treats him like a peer um and while i feel like it would have pushed him to become better in possibly a competitive sort of way it wouldn't have taught him uh, inner resilience it wouldn't have really taught him to be tough where i'm watching you know like kind of like Toph says like you know you're going to be fighting against the fire lord the fire lord's not going to play games with you you're not going to be nice you know here comes a boulder you need to stop it it's not this is not a game this is life or death um and yeah, like I think is an interesting con uh, contrast too is what you said about the teaching styles of Toph and Katara. And what I think the episode really shows well is that there's a mixture of both. Not only that you need both separately, but you also need both together uh, for real, real, I don't want to say mature growth, but like real true healthy growth. 
Because if you, if you're, if everything you learn in life, you only learn with other people's to, to, to be kind of toffish about it, be a little, a little of the coddling and the encouragement right. and you constantly need your hand held through everything and you need everyone's applause and a hug after every time you do it right, then you run the risk of doing things only for the approval of others. And as long as you have a cheering right. section in life, you're going to do well. And when all of a sudden you don't have that, you wind up alone or facing struggles alone with nobody else who is around or maybe no one who can relate, you're going to feel alone. What Toph brings to the table is that she's done everything alone. And so mentally she's teaching Aang, you may not have your friends around you to cheer you on or to motivate you to save them. It might be just you and the Fire Lord in the final confrontation. Mm -hmm. And you need to be a mountain. You need to be a rock and be rock solid. And that's right. something, something we all need. Yeah. You can't be surrounding yourself with yes men because like <laughs> it's never going to work out. <laughs> right. You need people that are going to push back against you and your ideas and things like that. Like, you know, because that's what causes you to grow. Same with the bending, you know, he was so set in his ways of water bending and air bending, which are very fluid. And like, you know, they, they complement his personality very well. Um, but earthbending is so solid, so rigid. So you have to, like Toph says, face it head on. You cannot, there's no trick around. There's no, you know, redirection. It's just, no, this rock or this rock is going to crush you. Punch it to bits. Like, you know, so, uh, it's, it's very cool seeing that. And I love seeing Aang kind of learn that. And especially as the season progresses from here, I love watching his earthbending because when he's doing his earthbending, it's actually incredibly impressive. Like he really takes to it once he gets over this mental hurdle right. and he does some really amazing feats of earthbending. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's very cool and I, I love to see it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 I mean, already the earthbending we saw in the episode, just toffs earthbending with all the variety of, of training things she had him do. Um, I mean, I love the way that she pokes the little pedestals of, of stone out of the ground, the dirt. That's really cool. Uh, I love that whole yeah. thing where she created the two walls and then built this like armor of rock around herself and then just like slid herself mm -hmm. forward like a like a like this juggernaut that he has to stop and then mm -hmm. repel. It was just really cool. My personal favorite is um, when they were when Toph is like shooting into the sand with her hands. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> she's turning the rock into sand basically mm. and then ang tries to do it and his hand just yeah it was good it was good you know and and as the series goes on um you know it, it, we praise the cool stuff that, that toph can do but as i've said you know i wasn't sure what i was going to think of toph as a character she in in general on paper is kind of the type of character i tend to dislike because she's mm -hmm. kind of verbally unkind to the other characters to put it mildly um but you know i one of the i ever with every passing episode you know i point out and i notice more things that she brings to the group and especially appreciating in this episode um the what she adds to ang's growth you know um it's kind of interesting to me the way that she and katara are the two teachers that ang has his two mentors and they kind of have like now he has two parents in a way he doesn't just have the coddling parent that like oh you're doing great sweetie uh maybe just try harder you know he has mm. the other parent um, that goes, <laughs> all right, here we go. It's dog eat dog world and you got to be tough. And the big moment is, sticks... huh? Good. I was just going to say Toph would be the, would be the mom to throw her kid into the pool, like her toddler <laughs> without any warning, no flotation device and be like, figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> now swim. See, exactly. See the big, the big moment for me that really kind of profoundly sent that message home for me was, um, when she comes back later at the end after after he faces the giant saber tooth wolf moose thing mm -hmm. yeah. and, and and she says you know he stands up to her and he takes back his staff and everything and she congratulates him on standing up to her and mm -hmm. and she's and that's the important thing where it's like you you stood up to that thing and then you stood up to me and i feel like it's a kind of a coming of age type of thing. It, it, mm -hmm. it, the message that it hit home, because there's a point in time in which 
you do wind up sticking up for yourself as you grow and mature, you know, regardless of whenever that happens in, the, in your adolescence or as a young adult, where your parents don't tell you what to do all the time. You don't always follow all their rules and you wind up breaking away at some point. And it's a healthy thing. It's a healthy thing to break away and be able to disagree and not do everything for their approval, Mommy Katara. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a great growth point for him. And I, I like the way that they they sent they uh drove that message home in the episode. I thought that was really cool. Sokka yeah, stuck and, and trying to swear off meat to get karma on his side was hysterical too. <laughs> Yes, that's all I've got. Sokka, the meat and sarcasm guy. <laughs> <laughs> and the instant, so and the instant the egg shows up, he's like, "Do you got you got any meat?" Right. Oh, classic Sokka. Relatable. That would be me if I was stuck in a crack. The first thing would be, "Hey, can you get me out?" It would be quick. Do you have any meat? I'm starving. Right. I don't care. Leave me in the crack. Just, yes. just give me some meat. <laughs> I love his little friendship with Poo Poo Cuddly Poops, the little baby saber tooth moose lion. It's so cute. It's great. Uh, like Sokka has never been much of an animal person. I don't know if you've realized that throughout the series. Like yep. really the only animal that he even somewhat likes is Momo, like for some reason. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so I like that he's like bonding with this cute little baby moose lion thing and yep. just gives it this crazy name and like, <laughs> just like yeah you're kind of all i got right now so i'll, I'll do i'll make do <laughs> yes stockholm syndrome does interesting things to a person when they're trapped in an unfortunate <laughs> unfortunate situation um but you know shifting gears though back over to to iroh and uh and zuko boy i really didn't expect it to oh, go as hard as it did like it was amazing mm -hmm. everything from the the instructions on the um the lightning bending and how it works and and, and all that to and, and zuko running into his own mental obstacle to him mm -hmm. being taught about the four schools of bending and then being taught the lightning direction and the whole thing is just an incredible arc in the episode. Mm hmm Yeah. I loved, um, even as a kid, I loved when Iroh kind of broke up the, the four nations and explained them to Zuko. And, you know, Zuko doesn't quite get why he's explaining it. He's mm -hmm. like, this sounds like Avatar stuff. And I'm like, there you go, genius. That's the point. Like, that's <laughs> so, why the Avatar is so powerful. So, Zuko's there like, sounds like Avatar propaganda to me. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, and I love that he starts to kind of put together like, oh, drawing from different elements and like different sources and cultures is a good thing. That, that's a really good lesson just to learn in general. You know, um, if you only draw from your own, you know, comfortable environment or people or surroundings, like that's not going to help you in the wide world. Like you need to get out, you need to experience things and people and places. And um, I think that's a really good just mini lesson within the episode. Because it kind of mirrors what Aang uh, learns and obviously having his own mental struggle to, to overcome but you know having to see things and embrace a different point of view for Aang it was facing um, you know a way of doing things that is completely the opposite of what he's used to what he's comfortable with and what comes natural Zuko in his own way faces something different yes sure when he's trying to lightning bend he has his personal conflict but you know Zuko has lived inside an echo chamber his entire life he has one way of thinking one way of doing things and anything that comes in opposition to him is typically coming from the enemy so he's kind of bred and raised to reject things that don't come from someplace he trusts and as you say it's a great lesson for all of us to be able to draw from those things but also to realize it's not a matter of just exposing yourself in a vulnerable way but to welcome those things in to to right. look at yourself and see what it is that you need and to reach out and open yourself and invite in other things to to get comfortable with things that it's not even about offending your own point of view or looking for things that directly contrast the things you already think or believe but to reach out and welcome things in that can expand in a direction that you want to go in and you may be surprised like zuko what you'll find when you do that 
Right, exactly. And I love that um, Iroh demonstrates that so perfectly by explaining to him that the way that he created, because he created lightning redirection, was by studying the waterbenders who redirect their enemies' attacks. And mm -hmm. I'm like, that's so brilliant. Oh my God, I love it. Um, and that it's something that only he knows how to do. And like, even Azula doesn't know. And that's really what gets Zuko excited. He's like, yeah, I'm going to have a one up on her. Finally, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and yeah, the, it's kind of become a meme, <laughs> of course, because everything does. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think I saw a video with like millions of views on YouTube at one point. Um, and it was Zuko trying to redirect the lightning. And it keeps blowing up in his face and his line is like, it just keeps blowing up in my face. Like everything always does. <laughs> it was the title was like Zuko's most emo line or something like that. And I'm like, oh, poor baby. <laughs> he's trying so hard, but he's just so angry. Yeah, he's he is a very angry boy. <laughs> He's, yeah, he's got a lot of uh, issues he needs to work through. But, but yeah, um, but then he takes off. I love that moment where he's like, "Now you need to try it," and and Uncle Iroh's just like, "I'm not gonna shoot you with lightning. What are you nuts?" Yeah, that's that. That would be if Toph was his teacher. If I was like, "Yeah, sure, here comes a lightning bolt. Now you need." Yeah. And, and this is an interesting contrast. This is an interesting contrast, I think, between the two teachers then is because Uncle Iroh teaches him how to do this, but he's like, now you know how to do it theoretically, and if you ever face it, and unlike Aang, who like is scared to death of the boulder coming at him because then he'll have to face it, Zuko's like, okay, so shoot me with lightning. Come on, do it. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. He's like, fine. And later he is in the most amazing moment standing on top of the mountain just like screaming at the at, at not the sky but like life in general to hit yeah, him like screaming yeah, yeah just daring it to hit him with lightning now that he finally has and i think it's an amazing note that we see how much this means to him because it's not just, oh, cool, I can stop the lightning from killing me. And it's not just, oh, great, I finally have a one-up on my incredibly gifted sister, whose giftedness has been thrown in my face my entire life. It's that this is the one opportunity for Zuko to finally have a way in life that when something comes at him that he is always dreaded is going to knock him down, that he has no way of stopping, that he now finally has a way to do it. And now he's just daring life to do it just to prove that it will work. As he says, for right. the first time, like th that this could work for him. It won't be like, like every time. Right. And of course nothing happens. And then he's just, he's breaks down because it's just like, nothing can go right for him. And I'm so sad. <laughs> Everything hurts and I'm dying. <laughs> that, moment when, that moment when life goes so badly for you that even when you dare something to go wrong because you want it to, it goes wrong by not happening to you. <laughs> right. Oh, man, you jinxed it. Um, yeah, no, but it's all jokes aside, it is actually a really incredible scene. It's only it's less than a minute long, but it's just so emotionally packed and powerful. Mm -hmm. And like the voice acting and the scream he does at the end of the scene, I'm just like, wow wow yeah <laughs> so you, you talked about the voice actor which i keep reading his name what's this again dante bosco dante bosco right dante bosco's voice acting we had commented on it recently just an episode or two ago about how excellent it is and that the emotion he's able to get across uh, in his performance it was nothing short of amazing in this episode whether it's him standing on the hill you know his voice you know crumbling as he's facing his own frustrations or whether he's screaming at the heavens to just finally hit him because now he finally thinks he's ready for it and can do something about it because mm -hmm. he feels empowered and he has a spark of hope just to once again be let down yep yeah. <laughs> it's so sad but it's so good um and i just i thought of this uh kind of bit lighter but <laughs> I thought of this as we were talking about um, Iroh not wanting to shoot Zuko full of lightning. 
it reminded me so much rewatching this episode of the scene from first class x-men first class mm -hmm. when um charles is pointing the gun at eric and he wants him oh. so badly to shoot him <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and like he's like i can't do this like he's like you know i can take it he's like well then you're not challenging yourself like this is stupid <laughs> it just gave me that vibe for some reason yes yeah, no, the, 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 the entire episode's constant overarching theme of, you know, the mentors uh, guiding and helping, whether it's Katara or Toph or Iroh, um, against these, these two, you know, huge main characters of the show, each on their separate paths, always mirroring each other like they have from the very start. Um, the comparisons, mm -hmm. the contrast between the two, it just, it continues to draw just a, a really beautiful work of art that I owe. From episode one, I've been appreciating and noticing. So, um, oh yeah, yeah. Um, episode nine, bitter work. How I, how would I rate this one? Um, it's a really good, solid episode. It has a lot of really good things in it. Um, I'm going to give it. Uh, I'll agree with the IMDb rating on this and give it a solid eight point five. Solid overall. Really good, constantly throughout. Good humor. Good lessons. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to go a bit lower. I still really enjoy this episode, but I think I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. Um, just because as much as I enjoy, you know, the lessons and seeing Zuko and Iroh work together and Aang overcoming his, his mental block. Um, it's not like one of my absolute favorite episodes. Like it's not one that I have rewatched ad nauseum, like, you know, yeah. um, but it's still really good. I still really like it. And it is obviously incredibly important that, there's so much set up in this episode from Aang's earthbending to the lightning redirection, which you know is going to come back. Um, so, um, and obviously making sure that Iroh is healing and like alive, which, mm. you know, it's kind of left ambiguous at the end of the last episode. Yeah, that was a big relief to me. As soon as it started, I was like, oh, thank God. Right. He's not in the spirit yeah, right. world. I thought they sent him straight to the shadow realm. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so overall, really good episode, very strong work. And uh, yeah. And now we get to this episode, <laughs> episode 10, The Library. Oh, boy. <laughs> so and you wonder why I went so fast through the episode stats on the last one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I knew why. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I, could, I couldn't help but just enthuse about this episode <laughs> while I was watching it. I was just messaging Amanda, unable to bridle my enthusiasm. <laughs> Yeah, so episode 10, The Library, it is uh, written by John O'Brien, and it is directed by my favorite guy, Giancarlo Volpe. Uh, it's animated, yes. it's animated uh, really beautifully by JM Animation. Like, I really, really enjoyed the animation of this episode a lot. There were literally a couple of times when I just sat there going, this looks beautiful like the perspective they've got right. the character animation especially and especially to give the animation a little bit of love because we haven't stopped and done this for a little bit this episode has a lot of it's gonna sound weird for me to say it this way but i have to say it to point it out because there are some people that are like i can't really tell the difference in the animation like you guys pointed out but i've gotten some feedback that they're like it's amazing that you guys can can notice the difference because to me animation mm -hmm. is animation one of the big things in this episode is that there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of running oh, yeah. around. There's a lot of flying around. There's lots of jumping and climbing and all kinds of stuff. The characters, just the way they move is so fluid. It, the angles that they that they capture in the movements of the characters are very dynamic. They don't look wooden. They don't kind of float around from place to place or bounce around. The characters look like they have weight and they move really quickly um and, and again just even the perspective chosen like the angles that the shots are in um particularly in the library very screen, cinematic very very cinematic and it's it's a matter of getting like low angles and like a variety of, of close and low shots one of the shots that i loved in particular was during the montage of uh ang and Sokka when they're using the uh planet mm -hmm. the uh, what's the word planetarium yeah. Yeah. Where they're using the planetarium there. And there's lots of like really low dramatic angles where where their their figures are kind of exaggerated with the parts of their bodies that are really close to our, our eye versus the part that's far away. It just creates drama. It's just 
mm-hmm. beautiful beautiful yeah there's actually since we're since we're on the animation just real quick um there actually is a shot that exactly what you're talking about like the movement and the shot the angles and all that um there's one shot in particular for some reason that really stands out to me in this episode and it always has um it's towards the end when Katara is being chased by Wang Shitong the spirit and it's she's like heading to the rope and she skids across the floor with like Momo on her shoulder and she kind of recovers and she keeps running and I just, I feel that. Like, I feel like she genuinely skid across the floor because she's running so fast and she's trying to get to this rope that's, you know, their way out. And the way that they animate the hair and the clothes skidding with her. And it just, I don't know. I feel it. I'm like, wow, this is like so good. Yeah, <laughs> there, just- yeah there, there are details in the character renderings with good animation that with not as not as intricate animation it's easy to skip over your little details like the way that characters clothing or their hair would move in a way that that provides weight and inertia as they're moving and changing direction it's easy to draw a character and move them around the frame with their limbs moving running it's something else to do something exactly you're talking about and provide you know she slides and she falls and how does she recover and it's just there's a a different dynamism too that is that is yeah i loved it it's very beautiful beautiful uh this episode aired july 14th 2006 and the imdb rating of the library is a respectable 8.7 out of 10. take us away with some fun facts i'm i'm really looking forward to this because if you can't tell (laughs) already i am giddy i loved this episode Yes, I know. <laughs> um, so for our first fun fact, the knowledge spirit's name Wan Xingtong is Chinese for he who knows 10,000 things. According, or sorry, accordingly, this is how he introduces himself. So I love that it's like a direct, like, word for word. That is what his name means. Okay, can we stop for a quick second? And let me just say, I love Wan Xingtong. I think he is the coolest thing but what I love is that he has this sort of Lovecraftian name that's associated with him. And I'm a giant fan of Lovecraft and like these sort of otherworldly things that don't exactly have names. They have like titles for themselves. And he who knows 10,000 things when he referred to himself as that, I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, Honestly, uh, Wang Shitong and uh, Ko are my two favorite spirits introduced in Avatar. There are more that are introduced in Legend of Korra, but like those two, because they're kind of creepier, like they're more horror type spirits. I love it. I because love just... you don't, because you don't love villainous characters or anything like that at <laughs> no, all. Not at you? all. No, no, no. Extremely charismatic, dangerous, like legendary reputation. Yeah, no, not your thing at all. Not at all. Um, So this episode and the next episode, The Desert, aired as a one-hour special called Avatar The Fury of Aang. And oh boy. Yeah, I know. That just got your, like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This this has, like, Revenge of the Jedi vibes where they're like, but the Jedi don't get revenge. We must call it Return of the Jedi. And, like, Aang, his fury. Yeah, it's not a word you would associate with Aang, but oh boy. Like you're about to see ang at his lowest low like it's it's gonna be rough <laughs> <laughs> for our third fun fact wan chi tong represents himself as either a barn owl or a serpent-like creature which are which which are both animals that's not correct english <laughs> <laughs> both animals are used as symbols for knowledge in our real world yes uh, so i kind of like the uh the I guess the melding of the two animals, you know, when he appears to be a barn owl or just an owl in general at first, and then his neck suddenly grows and he gets like super like slithery and like, it's so cool looking. Yeah, no. And especially the, the analogy that you're, that you're drawing that he's either a wise old owl or a cunning serpent, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, (laughs) very cool. And I, Oh my God. Speaking of that, I just thought of this. Um, because I don't know why, but serpents, like, you know, we often think of serpents as like snakes, basically. Um, but the what is that caused the first original sin in the Bible? It was a snake. He's the one that tempted because he had like all the knowledge and, you know, he was in the, the fruit tree or whatever. 
and he's the one that yeah he was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the forbidden fruit right exactly and so like that that even makes it better because it's like you know it's almost like the library is tempting them with all this knowledge of the fire nation and you know the the solar eclipse and all that and he's the snake except he instead of offering it to him he doesn't want because he has offered to humans before and they fucked it up it's <laughs> a little reverse psychology there you know <laughs> whatever you do don't get the knowledge of how to defeat the fire nation right um and then our final fun fact for this episode, also about Wan Chu Tong, because I mean, he's the main character, not the main character, but he's like the main centerpiece of the whole thing, um, is that the voice actor for Wang Chu Tong is Hector El Elizondo, who is notable for playing his role of the royal head of security, Joe, in the Princess Diaries movies. This. I don't know if you've ever seen those movies. Oh, I but... have. Oh, I love the first Princess Diaries movie. The second one, but the no, you're wrong. The second one is so much better. <laughs> the second, the second one, I. Saw saw like a very very long time ago and with my sister i think so oh my gosh it has chris pine and it automatically makes it better than the first <laughs> like come on love of my life we will we will review and debate hotly both princess diary movies in the next season of our podcast how's that sound it'll be it'll be us head to head just debating why why we love or hate certain movies <laughs> Um, but I didn't know this was him. Your feelings, you know it to be true. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this was him. That's so cool. Yeah, I I love him as an actor. He's kind of like one of those character actors, usually in the background. Mm. Like he, I haven't seen him as a lead. I've only seen him as like an extra or as like a like I said, a sort of background uh, character. But I always love his stuff. Like he just has a lot of gravitas, and his voice is really distinct. I can always pluck it out. Um, and I don't know. I just really like him, and he's my favorite. He's like literally my favorite character in Princess Diaries. So I, I love like, how you, I love, I love how you but... can pick him out, and and here I am, and I'm like, mm, if only I had liked the second Princess Diaries movie, maybe I'd be able to pick <laughs> him out too. Maybe this is a superpower I have yet to unlock. Right. <laughs> All right. It's the moment of true time. I, I'm out. I am out the gate now. The blinders are off, and I can run. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This has got to be my favorite episode of Avatar The Last Airbender so far. I am not kidding. Everything about this episode hits every note of everything that I love, a couple of, of which I've already shown my hand of. Like my notes are like like my 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 notes on this are just words, not even complete thoughts, just words exploded <laughs> onto the page. Hidden library, buried in the desert, solar eclipse, owl of knowledge, it just says. And this is all knowing owl serpent spirit, wanchi <laughs> tog. Like okay. <laughs> this episode hits so many beats that I love. First of all, it has this archaeological, like treasure hunt hidden lost city lost relic indiana jones style thing and i love the indiana jones movies anything in any movie i don't care i don't care how bad the movie sounds if it's got the theme of somebody going and digging for some lost treasure or trying to find a hidden city or something in the jungle in the desert at the bottom of the ocean i don't care where it is it could be on mars i'm in like give me a good archaeological dig a like the legends say and i'm hooked right same i do love a good adventure movie <laughs> right it has the best it has the best thing the the promise of hidden lost forbidden knowledge or like ancient treasure or like you know, aliens, crystal skull, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, Ark of the Covenant, whatever you want it to be. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but yeah, just dangle that, dangle that, uh, that story point for our heroes. And I, I've, you've already got me. It's the perfect bait. Yeah. So it has all of that, that I, that I love. Um, boy, oh boy. Yeah, absolutely. Just the fact that it is a library gets me. Because I'm a writer, but I'm also a huge bookworm. And, you know, God remember the library at Alexandria. But <laughs> it, he has sort of this same vibe. It's like, hey, Todd, you want to go look for, you know, the Ark of the Covenant? I'd be like, yeah, sure, if I'm free. You want to find, like, the greatest treasure man's ever known? Um, you know what? I'll get back to you. 
I'll get back to you. Hey, Todd, you want to find ancient books buried in the desert? I would be packed already. Let's go. Let, I want to find it. I want to, what are we waiting for? Yeah, I need I need to find the ten thousandth and first thing to to learn. We're going on an adventure. Yeah, I would be at the head of that yeah. hunt. So, like, yeah, I just I love I loved it. I loved so many things about this episode. I could tell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could just go on and on forever. So, what do you love about this episode? Before I speed on any further with more things, um, so I love that this is exposition done right. Like, just talking about the writing for a second, because that's that's a big focus for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I love that this this is basically just a giant exposition episode, but it doesn't feel like it at all. This feels like this is progressing the plot in a very natural way um, that you don't even really realize it. Um, you know, the the whole introduction of the solar eclipse, that being basically the next big plan for the series is like, okay, we have a date now for the solar eclipse when the firebenders will lose their, you know, bending. And this could give us a huge advantage over them and we could even defeat them before Sozin's Comet. Like that could be a huge, you know, win for us. And the way that they go about finding that, looking through the library and Sokka, of course, being the genius that he is coming across this parchment. And and it's the <laughs> library that, that Zhao used to find the scroll that brought him to the, the water bending shrine thing. They tied it all together. They tied it all together. I told you it was going to come back. That's why they mentioned it so many times. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and I love that there's also a moral thing. You kind of get where Wang Shitong is coming from. You know, when they're trying to talk to him about, you know, why they're there at the library, or or he's asking them why why they're there, um, you know, and he just is explaining like, yeah, humans only want knowledge to gain the advantage over other humans and he's not wrong (laughs) like um you know we see that with Zhao we see that with technology nowadays you know competing uh cars and phones and you know energy sources um so you know also historically it's it's not even just you know industry and commercialism driving that in competition because let's face it you know while that does drive progress um it also on a, at a corporate level, commercial level, it like drives quality down because, you know, companies, mm-hmm. businesses who are trying to sell things, you know, they're looking for an advantage against each other. But in, in, in the, in the basest way on the battlefield in war, times of war in history have always been when technological, the biggest technological advancements in actually things that are efficient because when you need to win a war when your side your flag human lives are on the line when national pride is what you're after whatever it is those things drive all of a sudden we're not just doing it to can we advertise this better and for a little more profit for a little less production cost now we're like no we need literally need to make something that is faster bigger better stronger than the other side have so we can win so other otherwise we die and so yeah like right to look at it from the other side of knowledge and say you know knowledge is something that people only seek when it will give them those kinds of advantages to destroy is like if knowledge was a mirror you know wang shitong is the the face of knowledge on the other side of the mirror we look at it and say knowledge is useful because knowledge is power and the other side of the mirror is wang shitong saying people only want this so that they can win wars yeah no you're absolutely right um and i love that i love that he is not just this evil spirit like he actually has been burned by humans before Mm -hmm. quite literally like part of his library was burned oh um it's again it's brilliant um the Fire Nation has and, betrayed uh, me. They burned the library in Alexandria. Yes, confirmed. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's it's really brilliant and it's so morally gray. Um, and that's just the mark of really smart writing, you know? And the fact that they do lie to him. You know, Aang straight up, I told you, Aang lies a lot in this show. 
<laughs> like really for do. being a pacifist airbending monk, he lies all the time. And I think it's hilarious um, because it's so true for kids. Like kids lie all the time. Yeah. Um, but the fact that he uses his avatar title to do so, you know, I make you an avatar promise. We won't do that thing. And then they go and do the thing <laughs> immediately. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's kind of funny to me, but it also just shows that, yeah, like there's, they're doing a bad thing, but they're doing it for the right reason. And, you know, it's, it's very morally gray. I do, I do like that little, that little chest up moment from Sokka where everybody presents some bit of knowledge to the spirit so that he'll grant them admission into the library. And he's like, it's a special knot. And so he's like, you're not very bright, are you? And he just like takes it away. And he's just like, you know, bright enough to fool you. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I mean, I feel like Sokka could have done something. Like, I don't know. He's he's really smart. He could have had something up his sleeve. Um, but uh yeah, no, I do like that moment. And I like <laughs> I love the little fox like knowledge seekers. Yes. They're so cute. And here's a, something I don't even know if you realized, but when the fox first appears um, in the desert before they enter the library, I can't remember who says it, but one of them says, what kind of animal is that? Like they've never seen just a normal fox because all the animals are hybrids in this world. Right. So that adds a sort of weird, like to us, it's like, well, that's a fox, obviously. But to them, it's just like this weird mystical creature that they've never seen. <laughs> it's just like... Yeah, well, I mean, imagine if everything in your world is an amalgam creature, and then you see one of the creatures that it's amalgamated from, and you have no idea. Like, imagine if a deer was actually, it turned out, an amalgamated creature between something that has antlers and something that has hooves, and suddenly out of nowhere you see this kind of weird primal creature that only has antlers like a deer, but like its body looks completely different. You have no idea that it's like a, just a regular animal because right. your eyes aren't used to it. We'd be like, what is that thing? Horrifying. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, so I love that. I just love the design overall. I mean, kind of going back to the animation a little bit, oh. but I love the design of the library. It's oh, so beautiful yes. and like the mosaics and the arch columns and like just, it looks so grand. And so like we said, cinematic. Um, and I love the kind of subversion of it just being in the library or not in the library, but in the desert, all you can see is the very tippity top mm -hmm. of the library and it's all buried. Yep. Um, and so at first they don't even think that that's what they're looking for, but then you just see how big it is and how expansive once they oh, get yeah. inside. It's like the TARDIS, it's bigger on the inside. Yeah, <laughs> so. no, the, all of the aesthetics in the episode are amazing. And and I'll even go so far as to say is one of the things I loved about it is that it has a little bit of uh, Studio Ghibli um mm -hmm. it, 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 it's very miyazaki-ish that they go i mean think about it a whole bunch of kids jump on top of a flying bison fly into the desert find this mysterious r library i mean hidden locations with all this mythology and fantasy attached to them is kind of a miyazaki thing you know from okay. the from the moving castle to lapida and the castle in the sky i mean the list goes on and on they go inside the creature that lives there is this giant owl spirit who knows everything and that he is administered this library is run by fox-like creatures that are under his command and like the library is this a massive place with all this forbidden knowledge and lore and it just in the again the aesthetics are just perfect yeah i it's it's a very aesthetically pleasing episode <laughs> um mm. so i'm curious i really love the character of professor zay like mm. we haven't really mentioned him yet yeah. but he is the professor that journeys with them um, and tells them about the library and he's only in this episode, but I really like his like infectious love for just knowledge and art, um, I was gonna say agriculture, <laughs> architecture, and like, you know, anthropology and all this fun stuff. And like the fact that at the end, when they're trying to escape, this is his life's work and his like goal was to find this library and he just wants to spend the rest of his life in it. Um, and I think that that's, you know, but that's that's kind of dark but it's also like fitting for the character mm -hmm. um as we know him but uh, i mean that's what i would do if i could be buried in a library with knowledge to books to read for the rest of my life and nobody ever bothered me at all i would take it 
Um, and I love that line. Uh, I didn't, for some reason, I never caught this line as a kid, but I did this time around. Um, when he like introduces himself to Wang Chitong, you know, all excited. Oh, I'm the head of anthropology at Ba Sing Se University. And he, uh, Wang Chitong just retorts back, would you like to be the stuffed head of anthropology? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, damn. Well, okay, <laughs> like, see, the character of Wang Chitong, just as a quick side note before we talk about the professor, um, I love that right off the bat, he establishes himself as being antagonistic toward them. He doesn't welcome them. There's no pretense of anything. He's immediately threatening to try to get them to right. leave. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like as I said, he's he's not he is not happy with humans at all. No. Rightfully so. So but like I wouldn't be accommodating either. <laughs> the professor, though, I also love the character. And one of the things I, I know I've talked about, I've talked about characters and how to make them immediately likable. And he is constantly upbeat. He is complimentary to everything about the characters, almost suspiciously so. At the start of the episode, I was like, right. is this one of these cases where someone's like, oh, wow, you're the Avatar. Amazing. I'm so happy to meet you. And you and you, I'm cool with you, too. I love your hair. Oh, look, you have a flying bison. I adore this thing. The stories this beast could tell. I get along with everyone, and I'm taking us all on a magical journey to possibly help you get find what you need. Like, you would expect a character like that to, like have some hidden agenda or maybe turn out to be he's evil betray you. right he's going to betray them he's leading them there so that he can get something evil that he needs and this is he's just putting on a pretense no what's better than an unbelievably good-hearted character with the purest intentions who winds up truly having just the purest intentions right it doesn't happen very often because it's so easy to go for that kind of like twist villain or trickery or whatever but yeah. like it's such a refreshing thing to just have a genuinely kind helpful character that they just happen to stumble across that has you know the information that they need for where they need to go it's yeah. just like wow that's nice see, <laughs> like and, that. see and that's another thing to me about the writing in the episode that i really love is that they abandon what the casual cynical viewer like me sees and you know that one of the big things i say it many times if if what I'm watching can't fool me, if it's if I can predict what's going to happen, if it plays out well and it's well done, I'll still enjoy it. But I really want what I'm watching to fool me. I want it to surprise me. And it surprised me. It surprised me with two big things. It subverted my expectation that I expected them to subvert everyone else's expectations, that the guy is not good, that he's, a, he's actually betraying them. So it fooled me that it didn't do that. But then it also fooled me when there's like, oh, the guardian spirit of the library is here. Wow, look at this thing. It, it isn't welcoming them. It's not like, oh, I'm just the guardian of the knowledge. Just don't. Like, it wasn't like, oh, don't remove a book from the library. Like, there was no, you know what I mean? Nothing like that. He wasn't benevolent. He was, he, he's angry. He, he's like, you, like you said a few times now, he's got beef with humanity also took me right. by surprise so the episode kept me on my on my toes the entire time i can't say enough good things about this episode <laughs> now we haven't even mentioned the ending the the big cliffhanger clencher ending oh yeah <laughs> as a quick note on this i love by the way quick 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 notes so the so the end so to summarize it real quick so the so the in the ending of the episode the climax not only are they being chased around um, and I love the whole planetarium thing. You know what it took me to? It took me into um, Moon Knight, where where they're cycling the night sky. Yes. They're cycling the night sky, and, and it, I just mind blowing. Um, but you know, as they're being chased out of the library uh, by the by the, the the knowledge spirit who wants to kill them, um, in an amazing, beautiful action sequence, it was, I was genuinely terrified the entire time. I love that as the thing is sinking, Toph is outside and she can't manipulate the sand, which it's great that they added why that is to explain it. But instead mm -hmm. she puts her hands on the side of the stone of the library and she's holding it up against the power of this ancient spirit. Yeah, I think honestly in terms, like it's not the most flashy, obviously, of earthmending moves, but I think like just... It's the most impressive when you think about it. She's literally holding up the entire library that's being dragged back to the spirit world by Wan Chitong. 
and she's doing it while she can't see and she's only got the bare minimum part of the library to hold on to and, and she's standing and while, in you know, sand she's not even standing on a rock right exactly and it's just like wow that is crazy impressive and i don't know if any other earthbender in the world could have done that <laughs> or any bender could have done that yes yeah and then on top of it you have the you have the the sand benders who we saw very early on in, in the episode mm -hmm. and what's really cool about them what was really really cool about them is that uh i recognize that they are wearing uh ancient sunglasses that very oh, really? that very recently so you know they have those little goggles with like the little slits okay. on them so i actually just recently saw a thing about these uh there was an article i saw really recently that snow goggles and you know here adapted into being sun goggles um that they were used to reduce the amount of sunlight reflecting off of snow and that they were uh developed possibly uh they found uh inuit sunglasses of this type exactly like the sand benders wear that were dated back to something um around like 1200 ad wow and so when i saw them i was like i just saw an article about these recently not like i'm really into anthropology and archaeology <laughs> <laughs> not at all <laughs> yeah just lock me in the library <laughs> take me away Wang shi tong <laughs> Yeah, no, and I mean, that just shows the level of thought that they put into even minor characters like these. And it's funny because, um, and I noticed this not on this rewatch, but on a rewatch that I did several years ago, that their costumes remind me so much of Ray's scavenger look in The Force Awakens. Yes, yes. Like the arm wraps and the, the leg wraps and the beige color palette and just, you know, the head wraps that they had. I'm like, this is literally like, I bet that they drew inspiration from this because it's the same environment, you know, the desert right? and all that. And, um, and her, her, her sun goggles even look reminiscent yeah, of goggles. these, of these ancient, ancient sunglasses. Exactly. So it just, that gave me the warm fuzzies. That's yeah. my favorite outfit. Yeah. So, so, so they show up, so they show up and again, again, I am white knuckled already that they're like being chased out of this library, <laughs> a sinking library by an ancient spirit, just as they have by the skin of their teeth, gotten the ancient knowledge that possibly could help them defeat the fire nation. And as this is happening, the sand benders come and kidnap Appa and they drag him away and and Toph is holding up this thing like the Hulk holding up a continental plate of the earth and cannot turn around to help him oh well he she tries that's the thing like she tries multiple times and it just they're too far away and she can't see and, and she, she can't, can't control the sand yeah, so she just has to hold on to the library because that's the only thing she can do. And it's just so heartbreaking. Like, if she's, or as Appa's being pulled away and all she can say is, I'm so sorry, Appa. Like, it's just like, oh my God. And, uh, oh, and, and then you've got just the most alpha move ever when Wong <laughs> Shitong stands over over katara and he's just like i i i know all about your your water bending i've studied the northern style i've studied the southern style i've studied the swamp style and then Sokka just comes down and just beats him down with what did he have just like a did he have a book in his hand i think it was like one of the tomes the that he big took tome. he just smashes the spirit on the head and knocks him out cold my man <laughs> a combination of Sokka style and cabbage bending is going to win the war we have all the keys now we know how to use the eclipse we know what to do we're good yes your girlfriend is literally yeah. the moon spirit now i think we're good take her out for candlelight and be like can we have an early eclipse eclipse next week you right. and me We'll have we'll have dinner under the eclipse while Aang kills the Fire Lord. Sound good? Oh man, yeah. No, that that's like up there with the water tribe. <laughs> like, has yes. got so much swag. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I, I I loved everything about this episode from the very silly start, which makes you think it's gonna be some kind of 
you know, you know, filler, some filler, you know, and then it turns right. out to be season this, one filler, right? And it turns out to be this incredible, incredible thing. I just this is this is top tier for me. This is S tier. <laughs> tier so what is it now uh we got the library at number one is it the southern air temple now at two or is it the blind i was gonna say the blind bandit uh the blue spirit uh i don't so remember I don't, oh man well forgetting my ratings previously for them i'll just order <laughs> right. them now because i'm gonna tell you right now this episode is like a 9.9 .9. wow I, I I am I am going to rewatch this episode after we are done. I might rewatch this every day this week. I love this. Yeah. Um, if I had to rank them, thinking back right now, who I think that is I think it is the library, uh, the Blue Spirit, and then the Southern Air Temple. I think you also had Jet up there really high too, so that might be your fourth choice. Oh, Jet is really, really good. I'll have to, <laughs> I'll know. have to, I'll have to meditate on this. Excuse me while I go into a right. sinking library in the middle of the desert and just like disappear for a couple hundred years, and I'll come back with an answer. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, well, yeah, I'm so glad that you love this episode. Um, I'm going to give this one a nine out of 10. It's great. I love it so much. Um, it is very plot heavy. Not if, if it had just a hint more character work, I think it'd be like a 9.5 or above, but it is very plot heavy, very exposition heavy, but it doesn't feel like it. it there's a lot of action, lots of great stuff, great animation, um, some genuine like stakes and progression of the plot, which I love. Um, so yeah, like overall, it's just, I know that there are episodes that are even better, so I don't want to rank it too high, but like, it's definitely a solid nine out of 10, which is like one of the highest ranks that I've given so far. Oh, yeah. So. See, and this is the challenge for me then. So it's for me, this episode, and I, while I agree with you, it didn't emphasize the character development all that much. And that's something I usually will rate an episode down on. Eh, for this one, it was the point one. If you had good character development in there too, somehow in the middle of all this, 10 out of 10, easy. But right. the thing is that for me, as I said, it hits all of the notes that I personally love in like my favorite stories and it put them all into like one thing. And I'm like, this is like a dream come true. This episode is literally dream come true. I, I, I love it. I'm so glad. So top that season two. <laughs> right. Oh, you, you challenge accepted. <laughs> You're not ready. Great. Oh, man, you are not ready. <laughs> All right. Well, bring it on. Bring it on. I, I can't wait to see what happens next. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.